It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. We're looking under the hood this week and examining our endocannabinoid system. Did you know there are over 50 genetic variations that influence the human ECS? We each have a unique relationship with cannabinoids based on our genetic profile. And though you can't control your genes, you can set yourself up for success with the right food, herbs, supplements, lifestyle choices, and even your cannabis protocol. My epigenetic coach is back on the podcast discussing this and his latest work. David Krantz is a certified epigenetic coach and sought-after expert in the field of individualized nutrition and peak performance. As a lifelong musician, David sees the various systems of the body as part of a complex symphony and helps clients create resonant, harmonious health. He is best known for developing a genetic test that helps people understand their unique response to cannabinoids. And David was nominated in 2019 as a Top 100 Health Innovator by the International Forum for Healthcare Advancement. If you're still struggling to dial in your optimum cannabis routine, or maybe you have a nagging health issue, or just haven't felt your best in a really long while, if that sounds like you, this is your podcast. We're going to get a little nerdy, but man, oh man, are there some great insights in this episode. So smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one smoke. David, I'm so glad to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me here. Certainly. You have been super busy since the last time we spoke. You have got a new genomics endocannabinoid test. You know, I've d- I did the old test two years ago, but then you have been busy um, making this much more sophisticated. Tell me what you've been up to. Yeah, so I have been taking the data that we initially worked with and turning it into an online report that you can log into your portal and, and check out all of the different factors with endocannabinoid function in your body, and it's a little bit more sensitive and uh, formatted nicely. Like when we did the report, I was just typing out a Word document and sending you those results. And now we have a real test online that you can you can get. And uh, yeah, I've been working on formatting that and 
getting that up and running and, and working on some uh, trainings for people that want to run this for their clients as well. I love it. This kind of test to me is so important because for so many, they hear all of the things that cannabis can do for them. And they're like, yeah, 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 sure. Cannabis is a panacea and, you know, especially CBD. So I would like us to just kind of start this whole thing out talking about the role of the endocannabinoid system in the body to just kind of set the stage for why somebody might want to take this genomics endocannabinoid test. Sure. So the endocannabinoid system is just so pervasive in the body. Every single cell in the body has endocannabinoid receptors on it. So when you think about the musculoskeletal system, the immune system, the nervous system, all of the different components of the body, you know, we think about them as separate systems that are interrelated. And cannabinoids and endocannabinoids are one of the really important pieces that actually links those things together and really is the interconnection in a lot of ways between those systems that, you know, the endocannabinoids we create in our body actually will allow communication to happen more fluently between those different systems. So that's the reason why, you know, it might be considered almost comically a panacea, right? Like everything under the sun, someone will tell you it's worked for them. And while it kind of seems absurd on the surface, when you look at what the endocannabinoid does and how ubiquitous, how completely covered our body is on the inside with endocannabinoid-sensitive receptors, it makes a lot of sense why some people can get such powerful results. And so with this test, you can get more precise information about how your endocannabinoid system is wired. Yes, because I, you know, I love to tell people that we're all precious snowflakes. We each have a very unique relationship with cannabinoids. Like it's true that if you have some sort of genetic roadmap, you're set up for success in such an easier fashion than, you know, chasing diets or fads or all of the different things that we tend to be doing now in this culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I say is it replaces guessing with information. It replaces guessing with knowledge and gives you a more solid data set to refer to about yourself. You know, we know that over time, you can figure out a lot of things with your body if you put the you know time and energy and effort into it. But when you're able to compare your genes to other people and we, we know what those genes do, it saves a lot of time in terms of limiting how much experimentation you have to do to get good results. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, quote unquote, looking under the hood of my own body has helped me gain way more peace and understanding of what's going on. So I had on the previous episodes that we've done, I talked about, you know, my fear of the dementia and Alzheimer's piece. And once I know, okay, I have those genes, then I know what I need to do as far as my diet and sleep and exercise and the way I use cannabis, all of those things can help me make sure that I create a different path for myself. And, you know, another thing that I found interesting, which I I want to go through my endocannabinoid panel with you so you can kind of help me understand things a little bit better. But, you know, I have elevated anxiety all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm constantly questioning myself, second guessing things. But then when I see in a report that my genes are prone for me to be an anxious person, it's like, oh, okay, I'm not weird. There's nothing wrong with me. That's just my body's roadmap. So how do I circumvent that? Totally. And when we, you know, when I look at your report and I'm, I'm looking at the stress response section right now that gives some indication around some of those anxious features, it makes a lot of sense that you've been so drawn to cannabis and cannabinoids as a way to help mitigate and manage that for you because these are a lot of these are variants that are found in the endocannabinoid system and, and tend to be associated with less activation. And we know from many scientific studies that underactivation of the endocannabinoid system can lead to anxiety and uh, high stress. So for you, you know, having 
this knowledge and, and having the ability to say, hey, there, there's nothing wrong with me. This is just how my body is, is oriented. And, you know, we got to put it in, into perspective. We live in a society that is anxiety provoking. And this could be a very different phenotype or outcome if you were living in an agrarian hunter-gatherer society and we didn't have, you know, all the pressures of technology and everything, right? Genes are meant for adaptation. And so when we look at how we're adapting to this environment, we can selectively use certain strategies like CBD or THC or, or nutrition or supplements or herbs or many different factors that can influence the way our body functions. When we look at what your genes are saying about how you can match yourself up with the right inputs, the right environment, uh, it, it creates, like you said, more empowerment around knowing what you can do for yourself to really, you know, show up the way you want. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was so interesting. You know, I have a high stress response with a low ability re to return to baseline. And, you know, reading through these notes and being like, oh, yeah, that's exactly why the phytocannabinoids and cannabis make me feel so normal, <laughs> you know, and bring me back to that, quote unquote, homeostasis. And there are people that perform just the opposite. So is there any sort of layman's terms as far as what you're kind of looking at throughout this test in how their endocannabinoid system and cannabis correlate? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the different sections that we can look at with this test are how your body produces its own endocannabinoids. So we know that the endocannabinoids that we produce are involved in that balance, in that homeostasis response. And you can get a feel for if you're someone that is naturally carrying lower levels or if you're someone that's naturally carrying higher levels, which also has its own set of issues with it. Like, for example, uh, obesity is actually associated with carrying very high levels of endocannabinoids. And, you know, when you think about what is the munchies, you know, it's kind of like having that turned up to 10 all the time for some people. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you can get a feel for endocannabinoid levels, um, look at things related to stress response. And if you're someone that can benefit from cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids for improving your stress response, you look at things as far as how your receptors are, how sensitive they are. You can look at things related to cognitive function. So some people really function much better than others, especially with THC. And you kind of know the stereotypical donor archetype of someone who loses their keys and can't remember what they're about to say and is just, you know, stone on the couch all day mm -hmm. versus you have someone, you know, like yourself that is an entrepreneur and, and able to really utilize cannabis in a functional way. And you, you know, you see all kinds of people that do really well from a cognitive perspective. And so there's all these studies that have been done that look at things like short-term memory. And are you someone that's likely to experience deficits in short-term memory after you use THC? Are you someone that's more likely to be impulsive or have reduced reaction time with THC? Um, are there certain brain changes with regular THC use that you might either be protected from or more prone to. And so when you look at all these factors, you can really tease apart how you might want to use THC most functionally, right? For someone that has short-term memory issues, it's not that they can't use THC, but they should probably know that they don't want to balance their checkbook or their, their spreadsheets, you know, after, yeah. after smoking, right? It, it, yeah. It's about learning to, to use it in the right way. Well, and even and, that piece right there, you know, when I'm going to have to do public speaking or something and I I need to relax and bring my anxiety levels down, I know better, though, than to smoke a THC joint. I get a CBD joint to smoke because it still gives me that, you know, peaceful, easy feeling that I'm going for, but I know I'm not going to forget people's names on stage. <laughs> uh -huh, exactly, for sure. And I'm looking, I'm looking at your, your genes right now, and you have some of the variants in the short-term memory system that code for some reduced short-term memory, some that are protected. So you've got kind of a balance, but I can definitely see why 
you would stay away from THC in this situation where you need to remember things like that. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Well, and, you know, and everything you're saying also just lends me to want to say you have to respect everybody's relationship with cannabis. So, you know, the, these people that still think it's a stoner thing or, you know, that it's going to give all children psychosis or whatever, we literally each have a unique roadmap when it comes to cannabis, hell, when it comes to everything. So it's just like really respecting people's relationships, the way they smoke, the time of day that they smoke, their method of consumption, all of those things, you know, once you get your own thing dialed in, this is my relationship with cannabis. You be over there, you do it your way. This is my way. Absolutely. And I've been playing around with this term that I think I made up. It might not have been maybe thought somewhere, but I haven't heard anyone hit me with it. Um, Called bioempathy, and it's the idea that it's really, really hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes and understand someone else's relationship with cannabis or any other substance, any other food, and and understand someone's unique individual response. But really learning how to be empathetic and connect yourself with the possibility that someone else is going to respond differently than you is just so helpful in so many different ways. And this is what this type of testing can do is give yourself more empathy for yourself, right? For the way that you respond and understand the way that other people respond. You know, like I, I did a read with a guy recently who's in his fifties and he's been smoking for, you know, 40 years at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And his feedback for me after we did this, and he was someone that was, what came out in his genes was that he was more sensitive to THC. And we we can talk about THC metabolism in a little bit. But he had been feeling for so long, like he couldn't hang with the people that he was smoking with and, and using cannabis with. And we did this report and he found out that he's naturally more sensitive to THC. And a few months later, we talked again, and he said that he just felt so much freer to tell the people that he was consuming cannabis with, like, hey, I I have this certain characteristic that makes me more sensitive. Like, you know what? I don't need to smoke as much as you, and I'm okay with that. And he's like, you know what? Everyone else is cool with that. I thought it would be weird if if I said something like that. But people respect the relationship that I have with it once I start respecting that relationship with it more and understanding it. So even for people that are, you know, seasoned users, this type of information creates another layer of depth and a deeper understanding of your own experience. And then that allows you to be more precise with it. Absolutely. And, you know, the idea that as we age, we develop more of a sensitivity to THC. Have you found anything in your research that that correlates to that? Yeah, you know, there are definitely epigenetic changes that happen over time to cannabinoid receptors and to sensitivity. And I think that's something that's going to be really exciting to understand more about over time because a lot of people ask me that question and say, hey, I respond differently than I used to. And what does that mean? And, you know, right now there's not a ton of good scientific data on how you might predict that for people. But I think that that's something that we'll incorporate into the reports as we get more data from it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were talking about bioempathy, um, it made me think of Charles Eisenstein and what he calls interbeing and, you know, understanding our relationship with humanity and with the planet when you understand and have a conscious respect for all of those things, you know, it affects the way you show up in the world. And so I like that idea because it is, it's, you're taking it like having a respect for the systems and, you know, your vehicle that you're moving through this world in and, you know, and being able to extend that to your fellow man, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think just having that sense of, being willing to accept other people's experiences, accept those connections and relationships, it, it, it allows you to give up unneeded control. You know, like the, I think a lot of that comes from wanting to control things. Like if we can, you know, expect everyone else to respond in this uniform way, then we have 
a little more control. We have a little bit less that's unexpected. And it can be uncomfortable to encounter that. You know, like I remember, and this is one of the things that when I first discovered this genetic information, it connected so many dots for me. Like I remember when I first started smoking and getting into cannabis, I, I couldn't imagine that there were people out there that didn't find it as enjoyable as, as I did. And it was so bizarre and baffling to me that there were people that I was friends with that, you know, I would try it with them and they would say, I, I don't really feel that great or I don't like this. And and for me, it was just this thing that made me feel amazing yeah. and had all these benefits, right? So that that really challenged my, my sense of, you know, what I, I thought should happen. And I think, like you said, it, it gets us out of the mindset of, of should and into the mindset of acceptance and really being able to work with what's there. And the fact that, you know, we can't control our environment and, you know, we can't control our genes. And that's what's so fascinating and empowering to me about epigenetics is the fact that we can, as you call it, match the right inputs in order to garner some sort of control. I've done all of the panels. So, you know, we're talking about endocannabinoid system right now, but what are some of these other things that people could add on with that? Right. So I, I look at the endocannabinoid system just as one piece of a larger wellness picture. And the other genetic reports that I run for people and do work with, you know, we look at things related to nutrition, what types of carbs, fats, and proteins are right for you in terms of, you know, different dietary styles. And you see this when someone is totally obsessed with, say, the keto diet or a vegan approach and or whatever it is, fill in the blank, because it works so well for them. And they assume, again, that it should kind of work that way for other people. And you get kind of these big proponents of diets. And, and when you look at it, it's probably because they just found something that was matched up with their genes well. So we can look at genetics that influence all different nutritional factors. You know, if you should be focusing on certain nutrients or vitamins, you can look at the way that your body absorbs things and breaks them down and incorporates them. We can look at things related to sleep and improving sleep quality and things related to detoxification and antioxidant systems in the body, things that protect your body from inflammation and stress. You know, some people are more prone to inflammation or stress from the environment or from eating the wrong foods or all kinds of different things. And so we can look very precisely at the pathways that protect your body from those negative inputs and kind of bolster them and boost them and, and be very precise about that. And then we also have ones that look at athletic performance and exercise and improving exercise efficiency and uh, also one that looks at hormones as well. I haven't done the hormones one. Maybe I need to yep. do that. But the one that made me feel so much better was the exercise and fitness one because I learned that I do have all of the genes for inflammation. And I would always feel so terrible for like two or three days after a big workout. And I'm just like, man, I'm such a wimp. And then, you know, learning that I only need one of those a week. And then the rest of the time, you know, yoga, brisk walking. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that feels good. Yes, I want that. So, you know, I think there's so much to learn and so much forgiveness for yourself once you learn the information. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, the, the recovery piece of exercise is just important as the exercise itself. If you're constantly putting your body in a stressed out state because, you know, exercise is stress. It's good stress when it's done at the right frequency. But when it's done at too high of a frequency, it just adds another stressor. So I'm really, really glad to hear that that was something that was impactful for you and, and opened up the opportunity to say, hey, this is just kind of how my body works. And now that I, now that you've matched your frequency and, and exercise routine with that, uh, you've gotten a lot better response. And of course, I love being an evangelist to other people who are beating themselves up for not doing CrossFit or something. I'm like, no, 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 no. Your body might not want that. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we, it's it's totally a badge of honor to to push yourself to the edge, but for for many people, that's too much. And there's a there's a right balance of heavy exercise 
and yeah, the genetics can give you a really good indication of, of what that type of recovery time is going to be for you. So I want to jump back into the endocannabinoid stuff. I have a question. My anandamide levels are moderate and, you know, and I understand how that piece works and that's anandamide. Does it bind to the CB1 receptor only or CB1 and CB2? Uh, anandamide is pretty much only CB1. Okay, that's what I thought. And, and then 2-AG will bind to both. 2-AG is the other main endocannabinoid. And so that one, my tank looks empty in that regard because that's that would be our CBD in the phytocannabinoid world. So what is this data telling me that I should be doing with CBD? Yeah, so CBD will raise 2-AG levels pretty reliably. It'll also raise anandamide levels. And I'll say that when we look at the readout for you, you can see that you're right on the edge between low and moderate for anandamide. So, you know, there's a little bit of margin of error there. You might be a little bit more on the low side as well. Uh, but you're, you're right on the borderline there. So I'd classify you overall as having lower endocannabinoid levels, even if your anandamide is a little higher. Um, you know, I would say CBD is probably going to be the best option there for you. There is also beta uh, which is the terpene found in cannabis strains. It's also found very highly in black certain essential black pepper and copaiba oil and clove as well. Mm-hmm. And so beta carotene is the only terpene that directly activates CB2 receptors. And because 2-AG is active at the CB2 and CB1, it's possible that adding more beta-carotene might also help you make up for some of those 2-AG. Interesting. I do have an obsession with black pepper. I use a shit ton of it on my food. So maybe that's just my subconscious telling me they know what's up. Yeah. And I mean, black pepper is a powerful anti-inflammatory. And oftentimes, people that are tuned into your body uh, can pick up on that, even if it's not conscious. There's just a sense that, oh, I, I like the way this makes me feel. I'm going to do more of it. And, and taste, your taste receptors often will reinforce that. That's so cool. Okay, so let's move on to the other section. We talked a little bit about the stress response, but is there anything, um, you know, high level that you think the listeners would want, need to know about the, um, these genes and different functionality? Yeah. So with the stress response, we're looking at genes in the cannabinoid receptors that have been studied around how people kind of come back to baseline after a stressful event. And you mentioned that before. And um, the, the technical term for this is called fear extinction. And so there's a variant in the cannabinoid receptor 1 gene that people with this certain variant, when they studied them, they were actually elevated, like at the end of the study training, like when they said, like, we're cutting off the time, like these people still had high elevated stress after, after being exposed to like a startle event, like when they you know, just like made, made a lot of noise or something where they startled, startled people. Mm-hmm. And so this says to, to me when I see this on the report that, good stress management techniques, coping skills, and cannabinoids in the right dose and frequency can probably be pretty helpful for for mitigating that. Yeah, that's so crazy because I get startled all the time. I mean, living alone and then someone's in your space and I will know someone's here and jump, you know, if they say something right behind me. And then, yeah, it's like my heart is pounding in my throat for the next five to 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is crazy. Why does my body feel like this? But that's that fear extinction. And mine is literally like (laughs) empty. (laughs) Well, you know, I I think what's helpful to mention here is, again, like these aren't necessarily good or bad things. These are are adaptations. And you might have actually an advantage in certain situations where you need to be very responsive to stress. Now, you know, if you think about living as hunter-gatherers a couple thousand years ago, you have probably been the person that heard the lion coming, you know, from or the bear in the forest and alerted everyone else and, and saved everyone else's life. <laughs> right. A hero. <laughs> right. So, 
so it's all about context and understanding that, you know, these variants that we're talking about, even though we often think of having a high stress response as not something we want, that can be advantageous. And so it's really about taming it and using it for the right context. And, and when you look at this data and get a little bit of a reflection of yourself in this way, it can help you say, oh, well, I'm just more suited to this environment. Maybe being in this particular environment is a, is a little more problematic, but now that I know that, I can yeah. adjust. Yeah, I dig it. All right, let's talk about these, the receptor density. Sure. Actually, why don't we talk about the THC metabolism? I think that'll be pretty interesting okay. for your life. Okay. Like we were mentioning before, you know, there's like that client I was mentioning who's just someone who's naturally very sensitive THC. There are enzymes that break down THC, mostly in the liver. And we can look at genetic variants that influence how much of those enzymes that we make. And the main one that breaks down THC is called CYP2C9. And certain people will produce less of that. And that makes them more sensitive to THC because they don't break down THC as fully. And so they might have more THC built up in their bloodstream. And they also will have the THC 11-hydroxy um, metabolite, which when you eat edibles, makes edibles really strong. Mm -hmm. They'll have more of that too. It kind of builds up and they, they can't break it down as well. So this is where you see people that are super, super sensitive to edibles, you know, really start to say, oh, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for you, you're kind of, you're, interme you're an intermediate metabolizer, but close to being a fast metabolizer. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a gradation or a spectrum here where, you know, it's not just binary, fast or slow. There, there's a range. And you're in the probably upper third of the range there. Yeah, I do feel like my quote unquote high wears off faster than most people, I think. But there was something that I had read on here that I thought was good trivia um, that you said slow metabolizers may need significantly less time between consumption and being able to pass a urinary drug test. So right. explain that a little bit. Sure. So this is a little bit technical, but when you ingest THC, you break it down using the CYP2C9 enzyme first into the 11-hydroxy metabolite, which is psychoactive, mm -hmm. and then you break it into the THC-COH metabolite, which is not psychoactive, and that's what gets stored in fat in the body. And that's what hangs around your body for usually around 30 days and is what's tested for on a drug test, urinary drug test. And certain people, the ones that are slow metabolizers that don't produce a lot of the CYP2C9 enzyme, they actually make a whole lot less of that final metabolite that gets tested for because they kind of run out of that enzyme before it even gets to that step. And you, they tend to have, you know, maybe four to six less times less of the metabolite that gets stored up in the body than a fast metabolizer who rapidly transforms THC into that chemical metabolite. And so it's likely that slow metabolizers are going to clear all of that stored metabolite material faster and just not have as much to get rid of. And so they can probably pass a drug test a lot quicker than someone who's going to store a lot, lot of that uh, metabolite. That's such cool information. Yeah, and you'll see the other readout here that says THC-COOH clearance. There's also genes that are specifically responsible for getting rid of those final metabolites. And there's different, there are different genes and different enzymes than what's responsible for breaking down that THC initially. And so we can get a feel for, you know, if you're going to have a lot of difficulty getting rid of those final metabolites versus if you're someone who will clear them out, you know, kind of on average, or if you actually might have a, a faster clearance of those as well. Yeah, of course, I'm always like, I'll never have a job where someone drug tests me, but I know everybody doesn't have that option. So this is good information to know. 
Right. I, don't get me started on the lunacy of, of drug tests, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, for for certain people that are concerned about it, this can be a really good way to get more of an objective understanding of, say, how much time you might need before you're going to go take a drug test or what strategies you can use to speed up that clearance because there are certain herbs and certain substances that can actually turn up and change the genetic expression of these genes. And you can be very precise about how you modify these systems. And so this is the epigenetic piece where you can start to play around with your metabolism of THC by incorporating certain herbs that actually change the uh, expression of these enzymes and, and might change some THC metabolism. I feel like when I was in college, I took a bunch of niacin or something before a drug test, drinking a bunch of water and taking niacin. Does that even sound remotely like something someone should do? <laughs> you know, I think the niacin thing, the niacin thing has been popular for a while. I don't know if there's really a lot of evidence for it. I'll tell you, I'm not a super expert on drug testing. Well, it was 1995. I just, it popped into my head when you're talking about yeah. it. Yeah, the, the water is definitely a good technique. Actually, activated charcoal seems to work pretty well because of the way that the body recirculates certain metabolites. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I take yeah. that if I don't want to be hungover after having too much mm -hmm. wine. Right. Yeah. Great, great stuff for that. Um, <laughs> But then, yeah, there, there's certain herbs that will very precisely upregulate these, these genes and, and the ability to, to detox the, the THC metabolite. Okay, so now let's talk about um, metabolizing CBD. Sure. So, uh, again, here, you are also kind of on the intermediate borderline, fast borderline there. And this uses similar enzymes. Uh, the main one is called CYP3A4. And then there's a secondary one called CYP2C19. And this can be really helpful for people that, say, have tried CBD before, didn't really get much results. Uh, a lot of the times I, I see people uh, that are in that situation are very fast metabolizers, and they might really need to up their dosage of CBD to kind of get the results they want because, you know, they're processing it really quick, they're breaking it down. And this is especially true for tinctures and anything that's taken orally, right? And, you know, CBD is more often used orally, mm -hmm. which is going to be impacted more by this than something that's inhaled. So we tend to see the CBD metabolism be more impacted and affected by these genetic variants. And so, you know, this goes both ways where someone who has a slow CBD metabolism, they might be able to get away with lower doses and start on the lower range because that's going to build up in their system more. But on the flip side, if those people are taking any medications that use these similar enzymes, they might need to be more aware of drug-drug interactions in the way that CBD might kind of take some of the enzymes away from that other medication. And so they might be more prone to that, but they can probably get away with lower doses of CBD and have a stronger effect. So this is something that if you are wondering, like, you know, is CBD going to work for me or, or I'd like to really understand my relationship to it, understanding how you process it is really huge in optimizing the way you use it. Yeah, I had heard on a panel once someone saying that drugs with the grapefruit juice warning are something that, you know, if you're taking any of those drugs, you definitely need to have a conversation with your doctor before consuming, you know, any of the cannabinoids. So, you know, that's something that you mentioned in the report as well. Is it only for CBD or is it for CBD and THC? I think it's mostly for, uh, for CBD. There may be a little bit of interaction with THC, but what's most important is that CBD at higher doses especially can actually inhibit that enzyme. So it doesn't just compete with it, but it can actually cause that gene to make less of that. Shit. Enzyme. I mean, that's important because people don't need a doctor's note to go into a convenience store or a Walmart and buy CBD. I don't think enough people are talking about that. 
Right, totally. And I think it's the responsible thing to do is to really let people know that, hey, this can actually have a potentially potent interaction, and it could make a dose of medication that uses the CYP3A4 pathway, which would be, like you said, anything that has the grapefruit juice warning label on it that says, you know, don't take this at the same time where you're drinking grapefruit juice. That could make it so that all of a sudden that dose that was the right one for you of that medication now is really too high a dose. And that can have all kinds of consequences. So, yes, if you are on any medication, um, it's wise to talk to your doctor and get clearance and probably under your doctor's supervision, probably at least space out the CBD from the medication by a couple of hours so that there's at least a little bit of time for it not to totally overlap. Yeah, I need to. I'll put some more information about that in the show notes because, I mean, me included, I'm anybody that is aging or, you know, some of my friends that are starting to take care of their aging parents, I'm constantly touting the benefits for of CBD to help us with those little missing links and the short-term memory, like forgetting people's names or, you know, you just start seeing your parents slipping a little bit and you want to keep them healthy and keep their memory intact. But, you know, I'm in California. I send CBD to my parents. I don't know what fucking drugs they're taking. So, you know, this kind of thing is important. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. you bringing it to my attention and, and us having a deeper conversation about it. Yeah. And I think, again, just knowing what your genotype is can make you more aware of, hey, this is something I really need to pay attention to, or, you know, maybe it's not as important, but still, I think it's, yeah, definitely something that you want to be aware of, uh, especially if you're working with older people that might be on more medications. Yeah. All right. I'm going to let you drive. What's What should we look at next? Uh, let's go right on to the next section. We'll go to the THC subjective response section. Okay. And this is looking at genes that have been studied around how people respond like in the moment when they get high with THC. And there's a couple different variants here. The first one that we're looking at is a variant where they had people smoke a joint and then rate their mood over about an hour. And one variant reported their mood increasing over the hour, and the other one tended to actually report their mood decreasing in in positivity over the hour. So, you know, this might not hold true 100% of the time, but you can get a pretty good understanding of if someone is likely to have like a positive mood response to THC, and you're someone who is in the positive range there. And the other thing that this is looking at is the propensity for cannabis-induced anxiety or for paranoia or the thought loops and things like that, which, of course, also have a general psychological and set and setting basis. But the genes interact with that, too, and, and may create a more difficult experience for some people on average. And you are right on the borderline from a genetic standpoint between positive and mixed. I would say overall, you're probably in the more positive side, um, but you do have one variant that you know does create a little bit of possibility there. And it's absolutely true. If there are certain chemovars that will make me super anxious and where my heart is pounding out of my chest and I was wearing one of those, you know, Fitbit style bracelets and I had to stop wearing it because it was constantly telling me that I was having a heart attack or something because whenever I smoke, my heart rate does go up. So I thought that was interesting. Uh huh. And yeah, most people's heart rate will go up with THC. And then there's certain variants um, that actually have a more exaggerated effect of that. Um, From a genetic standpoint, you are in more typical range. But that's just something to compare yourself to and say, hey, if I was this other variant, that would probably be even more extreme. And that in of itself, that physical sensation can be kind of anxiety provoking for people. For sure. People that haven't consumed a lot and they get something that's got a lot of, you know, terpenaline or something like that in it, they will. They're like, take me to the doctor. (laughs) Something's not right. And I'm like, no, you just breathe. You're okay. But yeah, there's definitely certain terpenes that help amplify that. Yeah, and and a lot of that is dosage too. And I remember 
one of the first times I ate too many edibles. I I, I remember <laughs> the scene where I was in the back of my friend's beat up a cord, and I I like rolled down the window so I could get some air, and I'm like squirming around like an uncomfortable octopus out of water. <laughs> and I just go, dude, you need to take me to the hospital. And he's like, no, you just ate too many edibles. We're not going to the hospital. <laughs> and so I'm I'm a slower metabolizer of THC, by the way. So um, I'm more impacted by edibles. Oh yeah. How long did that experience last? I, I think I might have blocked out the rest of it from my memory. Well, you know, I mean, there are some people that it, they have still felt it two and three days after having an edible where they just still felt not exactly themselves again. Yes. And the, uh, the studies that are looking at slow metabolizers uh, really show that where three days later, they report being drowsy, they report still having those kind of effects. So I would imagine that those people that you're you're talking about do have some reduced metabolism there. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, what's next? Let's look at the psychosis risk, risk session. So this is looking, and again, you know, as someone who, you know, I'm overall pro-cognitive liberty, pro-cannabis legalization. You should be able to put whatever you want in your body. It's not harming anyone. I love but that, I, cognitive liberty. Yes. Love that term. Is that and another one of that, your terms? No, that's not mine. Okay. All right. Um, I will borrow it though. I will too now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that it's really important and responsible to lay out both the pros and the cons of cannabis and THC for certain people as individuals. And what the science shows is that there are certain people that are more at risk for cannabis related psychosis and schizophrenia as a result of high-frequency cannabis use especially. What they found is that daily use really increases risk for certain people and high-potency THC, so high-percentage THC strains, really increase the risk for certain people. And there's a number of genetic variants that seem to be able to tell us whether that's more or less of a, of a probability and, of course, you want to look at this in context with things like family history and other risk factors. But, uh, you know, for you, you're pretty typical, nothing extremely uh, alarming here. But for certain people, you know, this is something you do want to be aware of. And I'll give you an example. I, I have a client who she's not a cannabis user and it actually always just intuitively kind of stayed away from it. And she, one of her brothers, when she was younger, had cannabis-induced psychosis. He had to be admitted to a hospital, and it was, it was an ordeal. And maybe because of that, or maybe just because of an intuition, she didn't use cannabis. And we ran her genes. We did all of her nutrition and everything else, but we ran a cannabis endocannabinoid gene, and it turned out she was very high on the, the risk factor screen. So it really confirmed her intuition and her choice to stay away from this for her own mental health. Wow. Yeah, that's a crazy story. And but it's so good. I mean, just like, you know, subconsciously, our bodies most of the time are guiding us in the right direction. So good on her for really listening to that. And then, you know, being curious enough to get the tests done. Right. And then for people that may you know, and it's not like we just automatically, intuitively know this stuff. Of course, people use THC and then kind of find out, oh, like, I didn't have a good response and I, this really wasn't for me. Maybe I shouldn't use it in this way. Uh, this type of testing can give you a better peace of mind around, uh, around that and really make sure that you're not harming your mental health in any way that, um, you know, Mo again, most people in the cannabis community kind of want to brush over this and not talk about it, but I think it's so important and responsible as people that want, as someone who wants to see this plant be used in the highest way possible. You know, now that you've just said that, the other thing that people in the cannabis space get weird about talking about is the hyperemesis thing, the people who maybe used cannabis for a long time and it was totally fine for them, and then all of a sudden, it just makes them sick. They mm -hmm. vomit. They can't keep it down. You know, they just have issues. So do you know much about that? Yeah, I know a little bit about it. I actually worked with one client who had um, not hyperemesis, but something very related called cyclic vomiting syndrome, which isn't 
necessarily a result of cannabis use, but it's very similar in the symptoms and what they believe to be the causes and underlying biology of it. And she uses cannabis actually to manage those symptoms, but she has to be very, very careful about the titration of it. It's like too little or too much triggers her symptoms. And there's something for her about the balance with her endocannabinoid system that's really tightly wound up with that. And I, I'm very interested in looking at at this deeper. There's there's genetic variants in the cannabinoid system that are associated with cyclic vomiting syndrome, and they're likely related to cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, you know, there, there's not a ton of predictability with it. For the people that have it, it's terrible, and it's 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 real, you know, and I think that there's, again, yeah, like you said, it's something people don't really want to talk about or look at. Um, but again, as part of the overall sense of just being responsible cannabis community people, I, I think we got to bring those people in and, and figure this out because we don't want cannabis to harm people in, in that kind of way. And you know, hopefully there will be some genetic variants that or other tests that can help predict this. And uh, I, I am actually actively working on that right now with some people. So we'll we'll see what happens. Awesome. Well, keep me posted. We'll do another show on it. Yeah. All right. Keep driving. Okay. So the the last section we got here is one that looks at cannabis dependence and withdrawal symptoms. And so again, you know, this is another kind of thing that not popular, but some people develop dependence on cannabis in a way that is potentially psychologically unhealthy, where you're really using cannabis to cope with the world in a way where it's very hard to function without it. And as a dopaminergic triggering substance, THC can uh, be addictive, not physically, but like anything can be addictive. Shopping can be addictive, gambling can be addictive, and certain people are more prone to that. And there's certain genetic variants that have been identified that might create more, some protective factors or some risk factors for that. And it's just helpful to know, especially if you're someone that is prone to addictive tendencies or if you're um, trying to change your relationship to cannabis. You know, I work with a lot of people that um, are, you know, love cannabis, but say, hey, you know, it's, it's time to like take a little break or change my, my use from it. And understanding this information can be very helpful in terms of kind of parsing out, well, is your body more likely to really want to grab onto that experience and do it again and again and again? Or is that coming from another type of, you know, learned behavior or other situation? And then the other um, readout here is related to withdrawal and cravings, where, you know, even if it's not like a dependence issue or addiction kind of thing, uh, some people have more of a difficulty stopping smoking and feeling like they they're like really need to smoke the next day. And, you know, it usually takes a couple of days for that to go away if you've been using it every day for a while. Um, but there's certain genetic variants that predispose people to stronger cravings. And that is very much tied into the lower and higher endocannabinoid levels that we looked at at the very beginning, where people that carry lower levels, when you take away the phytocannabinoids, the cannabinoids that you're putting into the system from the outside, uh, it takes them a little bit longer to come back to balance and be able to kind of compensate for that with their own natural production of them. Yeah. When I'm traveling, I always use it as an opportunity to to do a little bit of a, a system flush because, I, you know, I consume cannabis all day when I'm here. And so, you know, just kind of rebooting my endocannabinoid system. And I don't feel any sort of weird withdrawals. I mean, people will joke with me about it, but I never really feel that. And I'm actually doing an experiment right now where I am smoking CBD flour during the day and saving the high THC content cannabis um, for the evenings to just see if I can, you know, keep my anxiety and stress levels at bay and keep a clear head and then, you know, introduce THC at night and hopefully not need as much of it. So, you know, I know there's different things that that we can do to reset our system, if you will. But yeah, knowing that there are some people that when they're jonesing, like it's real. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and again, that's the bioempathy piece where really understanding that, you know, just because you don't experience the, the craving and withdrawals in the way that other people do doesn't mean that that's not real for them. But, uh, you know, just creating that possibility for that, I think, is so important. And, you know, for for anyone that's listening that's saying, you know, this this might be interesting to know, what we're going to do is put a link in the show notes and you can go get this test directly. And every test that we run it comes with a review session. So we can have a, a similar conversation about your genes and the way, you know, Joe and I have talked about this, right? And really get a deeper understanding and, and really walk you through all of what this means for you and, and how you might use it in terms of uh, improving or optimizing the relationship with cannabis. Absolutely, because there's 50 different genetic variations that you're looking at that influence our endocannabinoid system. So it really is a, a detailed roadmap that can empower you to have this sort of relationship with cannabis and truly use it as a tool for wellness. Right, exactly. This takes it from the kind of guessing game, shot in the dark, I hope this works for me, to more of a kind of precision way of, of understanding how to personalize things for your wellness and, and for your routine and and really looks at what are you made of on the deepest levels and how can we just match you up with the right stuff. Yes. And then you have all of that information and then you combine that with, you know, your set and setting and the chemovars or, you know, maybe it's a edible or a sublingual, you know, you just find exactly what works for you and you totally set yourself up for success. Yeah, totally. It's the combination of all those things. And, you know, looking at your nutrition genes and, and genes that influence vitamin metabolism and all those things can be very helpful too. Like that client I was mentioning earlier, uh, who felt like he was able to all of a sudden um, be able to moderate his usage better with his friends and not feel so pressured to smoke more than he really needed to or his body could, could handle. Um, he also, we also found some variants um, that allowed him, when we gave him the right supplements, to really, really improve his memory. And he said, even when we were talking, he was like, you know, my, my girlfriend has, has verified this, not just me, but my, my short-term memory has become so much better since I started taking these supplements along with my cannabis usage. And so really looking at this from a, a whole systems kind of approach where the endocannabinoid system, of course, is important, but there's so many other things that you can do to optimize health as well. If you combine those things, everything just potentiates each other and you get this beautiful synergy that really leads to elevated levels of health. Yeah, I mean, in, in cannabis, we talk about the entourage effect, but if you take that same concept and elevate it to your whole life, I mean, all of those components, it is the entourage effect. It makes up the symphony that becomes the life that you're living. Oh, I love that. I love applying the entourage effect to that. It's perfect. And it's so true. Yeah. Well, and you have a music background. So how did that even happen? So you're a musician. And I remember you talking about your creativity. You know, it was all happening at night and you were just getting really burned out. Is that when you dove into all of this? Yeah. So I found this type of work kind of by accident because um, yeah, like you, you said, I was a touring musician and I, I still make music, but it's not as a big part of my life. Uh, it's more for fun now. But I was a touring musician and, you know, my circadian rhythm was all out of whack. Uh, I would be up till four or five in the morning for, you know, gigs and play and, and writing music. And I never really thought much about taking care of my body. And in my early twenties, I had some really scary health things kind of crop up that, uh, mainstream practitioners just couldn't give me a real answer for. And to be specific, I, I started passing out randomly. Like I would oh. just like lose consciousness and it was really problematic. Yeah. I, mean, I went to see car cardiologists. I actually had a small heart monitor implanted in my chest for six months just to make sure that I didn't have, you know, a, a potentially dangerous fatal rhythm. Yeah. And they all were like, yeah, you're basically a young, healthy guy. Like, there's not much we can do for you. <laughs> Are you 
kidding me? Like, this is not the answer I was looking for. So I dove really deeply into the biohacking world, into the alternative health world, and started experimenting with myself. And I found that I was really able to shift some of my mental functioning, my cognitive capacity. And the other thing that was happening that I think also triggered this was I was in a really uh, toxic, abusive relationship at that time. And I, I was just like so overwhelmed with managing that. And then all this other stuff happening was like this big compounding thing. And through changing my diet, through starting to just get my physical body back online, I was also able to do the emotional work and really able to get in touch with parts of myself that I had not been willing to touch and look at and deal with for for many, many years. And so, you know, from a whole kind of mind-body perspective, I, I really started to just kind of come back online. And then this kind of magical synchronicity happened where I was of course, like listening to all the podcasts and things I could and absorb all kinds of information. And I had found this one podcast from this guy, Dr. Daniel Stickler, um, and found the stuff that he was talking about super fascinating. He was talking about genetics and epigenetics and this personalized wellness approach. And I listened to like all 50 or 60 podcast episodes that he did. And then one day on my lunch break, I was taking a walk. I was at work. I was taking a walk. And I realized that the logo of this podcast was actually on the building next door. No way. And Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this doctor that I just listened to 60 podcast episodes of has an office next to where I'm working. And of course, the first thing I did was I just wanted to book a appointment to go see him and try and get some blood work done and work with him. And it turned out that they're actually looking to hire someone with a audio background, with a music background, because they had built this experimental sound chamber in their clinic and they were using it to create meditative states and altered states. And they, they needed someone to really dial in the programming and music for it. And so I started working there. Of course, I, I love the universe. Right. Yeah. Right. And shortly after, Dr. Dan started a training program for epigenetic coaches. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time because before he put it out, he you know, kind of looked, at the route, looked around at the people working in the clinic and said, hey, you guys want to beta test this program before I start teaching it to people you know, outside the world. And he's trained a couple hundred other coaches and practitioners now. But I happened to be the first one that he ended up training. And I ended up taking that training with them three times before it was public. And, you know, it's the funny thing, too, is I actually told him no at first. I was like, I'm not really a coach. You know, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm an artist. And I just didn't have that sense that I could help people with this stuff. And uh, he saw some potential in me and, you know, told me like, hey, you've been studying this stuff on your own and you have a really solid foundation for helping other people. And so I, I trusted him and trained with him. And here I am. I love this. And now you're getting paid to be yourself and you helped me and now you can help all these other casually baked listeners. I love it. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's very full circle. All right. So shameless plug offer, you know, anything I didn't ask you that you want to um, chime in with? So we're going to offer a discount for anyone who's listening and we'll put a link in the show notes. And anyone who's a practitioner that's listening, that's saying, you know, this would be really useful information for me to be able to give to my clients to help them optimize their health. You know, it's like you probably know the the feeling of someone asking you, hey, is, is cannabis or CBD right for me? And you're saying, well, let's let's try it and, and see what happens. Uh, if you'd like to be able to just offer more precise guidance, I've got a practitioner training that's coming out that you can also learn about. And we'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. So, you know, if you're someone who wants to get tested, we got a link for that and we can do a analysis and help you understand your body better. And if you're a practitioner, we have a training that goes really, really in depth into all the scientific literature behind this. It's like a full literature review. You 
will, will be a master of the science by the end of it. And um, you can really take this information and apply it to your own client base. I dig it. David, thank you so much. I appreciate who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you, Joe, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You have just such a great way of phrasing things and and seeing things, and I I just love the, the conversation. So I look forward to the next one. Well, thank you so much. Happy Friday to you. You have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, happy Friday to you. You too. All right, I'll talk to you soon. I hope our chat has you feeling empowered to take control of your health and overall well-being. I encourage you to examine your relationship with cannabis and your body. And if you're curious to learn more about David and the Canna DNA test, head on over to the Podcast 147 show notes at casuallybaked.com. David is extending a discount on his services to the Casually Baked tribe. You'll find the link and details in the show notes. We got those records that spin around and round. Gonna spin, spin, spin till we get on. If you're inspired to begin your own wellness experiment like me, I'd love to hear from you. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Message me through the website at casuallybaked.com or DM me on social. I'm at casuallybaked on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, consider becoming a podcast patron at patreon.com backslash casually baked. It takes a village, my friend, to normalize the cannabis for wellness lifestyle. So do your part and puff, puff, pass it on. We had a time together. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.